0: This is Tell Me What to Read, the podcast from booktopia.com.au. I'm Mark Harding, and today it's another YA Spectacular. First, Sophie Gonzalez and Carla Dietrich speak to Hannah about their new book, If This Gets Out. Then, the best-selling author of One of Us is Lying, Karen M. McManus, speaks with Sarah about her new book, You'll Be the Death of Me. Check the show notes for timestamps for both of these conversations. Now, over to Hannah for her chat with Sophie Gonzalez and Carla Dietrich.
1: Hi, I'm Hannah Armstrong and I'm so excited to be joined today by the incredible Sophie Gonzalez and Kale Dietrich to chat about their new book, If This Gets Out. Thank you both so much for being here. How are you guys?
2: Good.
3: Yeah, I'm good. Yeah. yeah.
2: <laughs> really good. Thank you so much for having us.
1: Awesome. Um, first off, I just wanted to say a big congrats on the upcoming release of your book. Um, I jumped at the chance to have a chat to you guys today. It was so sweet, so fun, so heartwarming. It, like, put me in such a good mood. Um, So I had to be the ones to talk to you. Uh, For those listeners who maybe weren't as lucky as I was to get to read an early copy, can you just tell them a little bit about what this book is about?
2: If This Gets Out is a um, sort of a romantic drama. Um, It's a YA book about two guys in America's biggest boy band who have been best friends for years but start to realize they have feelings for each other but when they start dating they realize that their management team have no intentions of letting them announce their relationship to the world ever.
1: Yep that pretty much sums it up. It's funny even just hearing you like say the blurb I'm like getting excited and I want to read it but I've already read it.
2: (laughs) (laughs) I'm so glad you liked it.
1: I absolutely loved it. So this is your first book together, um, which like when I was reading, I mean, I'm familiar with your work, Sophie. So when I was reading it, I could kind of tell who had written what bits. But the thing that really came across when I was reading is how well your styles meld together and just how like, it's very apparent that you guys make really good co-collaborators. Oh, thanks. Um, Yeah. you know you can kind of be a little bit apprehensive as a reader like when you go into a co-authored book because if, especially if you're already a fan of one author but the cool thing about this book is that i now have come out with another favorite author who writes in one of my favorite genres so that's awesome what was this collab like for you guys how did it come about
3: so um basically i had this idea um i'm not sure exactly where it came from it's one of those ones that i just thought would be such a cool thing um and sophie and i have been friends on twitter for years now so I had this idea and I thought it would be really good as a collab, so I hesitantly DM'd Sophie (laughs) just about the concept, just being like, hey, what do you think about this? And I was just kind of trying to see her reaction um, and she was like freaked out about it and thought it was amazing. And then after that, I was like, hey, well maybe I was thinking about doing it as a collab and she was totally on board, so that was awesome. Um, So yeah, so that's how it kind of started. Um, Yeah. What was the
2: experience of it like for you? Very different to writing solo novels, definitely. Like, and, you know, some things that were a little bit of a learning curve and some things that were a lot more fun than writing it alone. It was just, like, very different. Um, For example, I think one of the things that Kayla and I both really found was I would write a chapter and send it to him and then he would write the next chapter and send it back and that's how we, we kind of went back and forth like that in the drafting. And every time his chapters were due, I was so excited, even though I knew what was going to happen, I didn't know how he was going to write it, the exact details of what was going to go down. So it was sort of like receiving, you know, the next episode in your favorite TV series or, you know, the next um, chapter in your favorite fanfic or something like that. It was like, oh, it's in my inbox. I love
1: that. That's amazing. Was it kind of the same for you, Kale?
3: Oh, absolutely. Yeah, it was always so exciting because, yeah, exactly. We kind of, we hashed out a synopsis early on. We spent about was a, oh, many, many hours just like hashing out everything we kind of wanted to do. And it's like one of the really good things is we all seemed to, we both seem to be on the same page for a lot of the stuff so quickly, which was amazing. Um, like there wasn't really anything we disagree with like all everything just kind of worked um but then yeah when I yeah when Sophie's chapter would come in I would just be like oh yeah I'm so excited that I get to read this um so so I was like it was the best (laughs) yeah
1: oh my god I love that yeah it's so it definitely came across when I like as a reader so that worked out perfectly so like I have a confession I am like a huge fan of boy bands so, when, like, at the very beginning, um, I'm not sure when, like, this book was announced, but I remember reading the synopsis and I sent it to all my friends and I was like, hey, this is what we have to look forward to in a year's time. There were a lot of aspects to this, like, fictional boy band Saturday that felt really familiar to, like, true life, um, like those, like, big show stopping stadium tours and, like, everybody's in these, like, perfect little, like, choreographed outfits and the choreographed dance moves. Um, did you base, like, how much of this story was based on like real life boy bands and if not where did the inspiration come
3: from? I guess it's sort of like it was never based on one specific boy band or anything like that it was all just kind of we tried to look at boy bands in general as a concept that have been around for years now Um, so we were kind of just looking at that whole the sort of constructed perfect group that has lots of people that like one person appeals to one demographic and the other appeals to the other and just that is kind of what we drew on so it was more like we never looked up like we were never googling like bts or like what they were like it was more just like you know as a general rule sort of if we were going to like we made a fictional boy band that would follow the sort of boy band rules that exist if that makes sense um so that's what we were trying to do yeah
2: Yeah, I think we found um, there's a lot of crossover between all your different favourite boy bands. Um, There's certainly been a formula in place for decades now. And even if, you know, new bands might try out new things. um, I think when we were creating Saturday, we wanted to borrow some modern things from some modern boy bands that we think have really contributed to them hitting well in the current demographic but we also borrowed some things from the past like um not that you know place uh bands like bts do do choreographed dance moves so it's not like dancing is a thing in the past however it's probably a little less common nowadays but we wanted to have you know that aspect um and just adding in some new things that haven't been done in a while or haven't really been done before just trying to trying to create our own thing
3: yes yeah exactly yeah
2: totally um where did who like who came up with the name saturday what's the significance of it have you have you seen that meme where someone's like this but good like (laughs) like that we were we were like oh we really want to come up with like a modern name and then one of us said like you know like saturday but you know good and then the other one was like or that (laughs) let's just do it it was really quick
3: yeah i wish we'd saved the like the the dm conversation we had when we were trying to figure that out because there were some bad names in there. <laughs> like we were throwing them out and just trying to figure <laughs> them out, and that would have been—we should have screenshotted it. It's—it's it's long gone, but like, yeah, it was a lot of what about this? And then Saturday came up, and I was like, oh, hang on, it's actually like great. So,
2: uh, when Twitter ever introduces being able to search in DMs, we will find that. <laughs> yeah. Yes, it can be included on the um, like cl- like special
1: collector's edition. Yes, and pages. <laughs> <laughs> Um, Okay, so this isn't like a question, but I just wanted to gush a little bit about like the love story that is this book. Um, Sophie, you kind of described it as like a romantic drama, which is really accurate. Um, There was a lot of squealing going on. I thought it was just the sweetest thing that I've ever read. and especially reading about like two people who are like international mega like pop superstars, they're extremely wealthy, but they kind of they, they're not exempt from that like awkwardness and the like miscommunication and all the like excitement of first love and, and dating and, and things like that. Um, can you guys just talk a little bit about the romance and maybe like what are, what are some of the challenges that like come with writing a good romance?
3: That's, I, I feel like like, one of the reasons I think it worked is because we kind of based it, like, each of us came up with our characters and we both had a really strong concept of who our characters were at the start. So, we could kind of, we could map out, like, the beats and what we were trying to get to, but everything was always like, okay, how would Zach react in this situation? Or how would Ruben react in this situation? And I think that's how you can get, like, a really good romance, as if it's based in the cap not like, oh, okay, I really want them to have a first kiss or something like that. Like you want the characters to kind of go through that moment and you to get them to them to the point where that character would do that. Um, so I think that's kind of what I was trying to, I think we both were just trying to kind of make it really character based and then have the romance kind of come from these two characters that are really well matched for each other, but maybe they don't realize it at the start. So yeah.
2: Yeah, Um, and also I think the interesting thing about writing a collaboration romance is it's actually more similar to romances in real life. Um, Because when you're writing your own, you kind of, you make the characters for each other and you can plan everything out and everything works really neatly because it's just you, you know? Everyone kind of slots in and matches each other. But when you're writing a collab, there were moments where Kale's chapter would throw me off. For example, you know, and I'd I'd have in my head, "Oh, this is how this conversation is going to go." But then the conversation would go differently, and that which is a lot like how romance happens in real life. You know, when you fall into someone, you you kind of have this idea, but then they they catch you off guard. And then you have to go, "Well, how am I going to react to this?" Which I think gave it a really different flavour because you actually are seeing us in real time trying to adapt to each other's character and say, well, now you've done this, what am I going to do? And how are we going to make this work? <laughs> um, yeah, that, that was a really interesting, unexpected aspect of the collab process for me. Yeah,
1: totally. That, um, that definitely, like, it's, it's funny that you say that because it definitely comes across. Um, and I also felt it's not often in YA that you, you get these relationships that do feel very real. Like they have these really real challenges and not everything is perfect and it doesn't fall into place just like you think it would. Um, and I think, you know, the importance of like showing that you need to actually communicate and grow and adapt in relationships is so important. Um, yeah. (laughs) Yeah. I loved it. That was one of the highlights of the novel for me. Um, The other thing I wanted to talk about that is like a little less fun to discuss and definitely was less fun to read than the romance is this kind of idea of closeting in the music industry and in the entertainment industry in general. Um, What makes you guys wanna write about a topic like that?
3: I think the thing is, yeah, I mean, like I'm a pretty huge music nerd, so I'm really into that. Um, So I'm very, I keep like up to date with all of the news that are coming out of this, of the like the industry. And it's just this, like, there's just so many stories of it, of just, like, I'm not specifically closeting, um, but just in terms of just these, like, big labels, just, like, controlling these people so much. Um, And I think both Sophie and I are both authors of, like, Queer YA, so it's kind of like, when we were going into this, it was kind of like, okay, that's sort of something we could look at. Um, But yeah, it was just kind of like, we just saw it so much, and then, you know, it just seemed like, I don't know, something that really bothers me and something that I think should be talked about more and explored because you know it's just it's really bad some of the things these people are doing to these people um, yeah
1: Sophie do you think like that's something that we're gonna grow away from or do you think that's something that's gonna stay around as long as we have the kind of culture that we
2: have well I think like in all things there as society grows every aspect of society grows um however in saying that i think we're still a lot worse off than a lot of people realize um i've seen a lot actually a lot of people have said in response to this book something along the lines of oh you know this doesn't really happen nowadays but the interesting thing is i personally um I've had a family member who worked in a TV station once and the stories that they would tell me, you know, as recently as like a few years ago, um, tells me that it's still happening. And since Cale and I have been doing publicity for this book, we've spoken to a lot of people who work within the entertainment industry who, you know, interview people and, oh my gosh, the amount of people who have come and said, yeah, um, this is This is something that happens. People are still being closeted. Um, The entire, well, not the entire, but there was a story just the other week about all of the main guys and mean girls have, since the movie, come out as gay. And, you know, they were all saying at the time that it, it wasn't so much that they were being forcibly closeted. It was more that they were being heavily pressured into not coming out because of the effect that that would have on their career. And just because we are starting to be more accepting doesn't mean that it has zero impact on you if you come out because there, there aren't very many people in the world who will not support you if you're cis but there are people in the world who will not support you if you're queer. So at the end of the day, even if plenty of people are still supportive, you will lose some support from some people and that's... I hope that will change one day but for now that is still something that's affecting all of these industries because they don't want to lose any sales they don't want to lose anyone they want to appeal to everyone um which is just has these really devastating consequences on real people
3: right and there's one other thing i want to say too is like i watched the um the it's sort of when we were working on this there was the taylor sift documentary came out Um, and there's this big scene in that where she's meeting with all these, like her dad and like all these big people. And they're like, are you sure you don't want to come out as anti-Trump? And they're like, if you do this, you could lose half your audience, like instantly. And that's like anti-Trump, like, like, that's like making one political stance. They were like, you could lose half your audience. And so like, I think this is a very, like, I can imagine these same conversations even exemplified if you were to come out as queer or something. Um, because, yeah, exactly, you've got this big, you know, if you have this huge following, there's all these sorts of people that will follow you, and especially if your your audience is is, like, younger teenagers, their parents can control a lot of stuff as well, so it's, like, you know, there's all this stuff like that, so, yeah.
1: That's so true, especially, like, just off the back of that, like, that's actually said in the book, right, that the management company is, like, you can't, come out as queer because you have these young impressionable fans and then their parents control the purse strings Um, the thing I wanted to talk about is like queer representation which kind of leads nicely on from that there was this parallel I noticed um when I was reading that Zach is kind of talking about how he's, he's he's finding out how important it is for him to be like his open and authentic self like in the public eye because it really you know he gets to be kind of a representation for young queer fans Um, and then I was noticing like as I was reading I think that's exactly what books like this book do for young queer readers and I think that's really important. Um, Can you guys just talk a little bit um, maybe Sophie will start with you like about that kind of um, queer representation in the young adult genre and how important that is?
2: Well I think that it's important for everyone to be represented so that they can conceptualize themselves as the heroes of the story and you know that does a lot for self-esteem um it does a lot for how included they feel and it's just important to be able to access media that's made for you but not only that it's important for society in general because even readers who aren't queer need to be reading books with queer characters whether it's you know ideally. Um, you know, they're at the forefront. It's their story so they can get into their heads. But um, just having a diverse cast in general is important because reading fosters empathy and being able to put yourself in a character's shoes when it's someone who lives a life that's a little bit different to, you know, how your life looks. You can learn to understand some of their thought process and It really hammers home that this is this is a person, and these are the things that are important to this person, and why. And that really, I think, it goes a long way to helping other people realize that they're not the only ones who deserve to be the main characters. Other people can be main characters too.
3: Yeah, exactly. I would. Yeah, that's like perfect. Yeah, exactly. I would say that Um, because I think it it wasn't even too long ago that you know there really weren't that many queer characters. And now we're really lucky that there's a whole bunch of queer stories that are out there. Um, But yeah, I can remember just wanting to be, like being a huge reader and then just not reading like gay characters or any, it was, they just weren't there. (laughs) Um, So like, you know, so there was maybe like one or two and, you know, try what, like it's, it's yeah, so, and that would just like, it's something you can just deal with, but you know, I kind of want to read a character that represents me as well, so. I I look for that and now that's an option for a lot of teenagers, which is, I think, great because, I mean, I didn't have that when I was a teenager, so, um, yeah.
2: Isn't there a line in, like, your debut, Kale, that's like, I'm the protagonist?
3: Oh, yes. Yeah, that's what my first book is, basically, (laughs) entirely about me being annoyed about that. So, 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 yes, this is something I think about a lot, yeah.
1: Oh, my God, I love that so much. It's my time to shine. I'm here. (laughs) (laughs) Um, The other thing that I want to talk a little bit about, um, so our, like, four protagonists who are in this band Saturday, um, they are, like, attractive, wealthy. They've got everything going for them. They've got, you know, millions of fans who love and adore them. But they also are living these lives where they are put into these little boxes and little categories and they're also being worked to the bone. They're not allowed to see their families. Um, and yeah, their every movie is scrutinized. Kale, do you think, like, if you had the option of being a famous person in a boy band, would you, do you think, like, the, the good sides of fame would outweigh the bad? Uh,
3: <laughs> for me, no. <laughs> like, I, I don't think so. Um, I think the one thing that I think I would like would be the money side of things. That would be very, very nice. Um, But I think the being famous, I think is just not something that appeals to me at all. Um, I think it's quite uh, like, it's hard. It's, It's sort of like the thing is like, you want people to like, like I really want people to like my books and things like that. But that level of fame where you can't go to the shops or you can't do anything like that personally doesn't appeal to me um but money does so so that's where I'm at maybe I'm shallow I don't know but that's kind of it's this weird duality um yeah how about you Sophie? (laughs)
2: Um you know a lot of the time when I was writing this book I kept on thinking about what it's like to be an author um it it's on such a smaller level but at the same time being an author was this dream that I had my whole life and as we do with dreams, you know, you idealize it. You have this picture of what it's going to be like. And then I got there and I'm still getting there. You know, it's not like I'm where I always dreamed that I would be, but, you know, I'm on my way and I'm finding that all the things that I thought it was going to be are there yet. But then there are all these other downsides that I wasn't expecting um, in terms of, for example, having to be, switched on all the time. Even, like, when I'm out in a public place, I'm having to think, especially if I'm anywhere near a bookstore, like, what are my friends talking about right now? Can someone overhear us? Is someone going to have an opinion? Um, Are they going to associate me with what this person's saying right now? You know, my friends are mucking around, for example, you, you can't assume that, you've got to assume that at any point someone could um, have an opinion on how you're acting um, and you know the constant critique for example that that was something that I had to adjust to um, not being able to do what you want to do because you've got to think about sales and you've got to think about this and you've got to think about that um, it's just a lot of aspects that I wasn't expecting and I've I'm lucky enough that I've got a few friends who are much further ahead than me, you know, people that I would genuinely call like that as a famous author. And I talk to them, and it doesn't go away. It, if anything, it gets worse the the more famous and the more sales you get. Rah, rah. So, yeah, that, that was constantly on my mind. You know, it was, I, I think that authors are in a really great position to write about what it's like to have this dream, get the dream. It's wonderful, but there's all of this new pressure. I, I was working like 80 hour weeks. I, I work 80 hour weeks a lot. Like, but especially last year, the year before, like I was, my hair was turning white. Like I'm in my twenties. <laughs> it's, it's a lot, <laughs> but like, it's still insane all that. It's, I, I would still not change it.
1: That's lovely. Um, not the thing about your hair turning white, that sucks, but it looks beautiful now. <laughs>
2: <laughs> I actually went um, brown again at the root.
1: <laughs> was that? Did that happen naturally or did it die? Yeah, my
2: hair started turning white when I was, like, really overworked and um, I I read that when your hair turns white from stress, it's reversible, but when it's white from age, it's just, you know, it is what it is. And my hairdresser, I remember, was like, no, no, it's not reversible, but then it started growing brown at the root again and he's looking at the roots like, what? And I was like, I told you, I'm not, like, greying, I'm just great oh my gosh sophie you're like
1: medical miracle i've never heard of this before
2: (laughs) i'm not the first person it's just i don't think it's super common to actually be so stressed that your hair turns white but maybe it's more common (laughs) in, in industries like this
1: yeah i i'd hope i'd hope that um you know book fans aren't as like rabid as boy band fans like have you guys had any what what are some of your like favorite fan interactions you've had maybe not just with this book but in your previous work as well
3: readers are just generally like amazing like i think anything that makes me freak out is like if someone makes like an aesthetic or some art or like like you know like fanfic or anything like that like that's like next level incredible um for me i just think that's so cool that like something you've made has like inspired somebody else to make something else. I just think that's so cool and just awesome and just so flattering and nice. Um yeah, I love that. So yeah.
2: Oh yeah. Readers are the absolute best. The best. <laughs> um yeah, like I think for me it was when people started um saying things like, oh my gosh, you know, you're Sophie Gonzalez, you're talking to me. And I'm just like there in my PJs, like eating potato chips, like, yeah. <laughs> It's just me. So <laughs> weren't there plenty of people in school that didn't want to talk to me? You know, <laughs> not that exciting.
1: <laughs> for your fans, um, what's next for the both of you? Do you think? Do you think we'll have any like more collabs in the future, or are you never going to speak again after this?
3: Never. speak no, i
2: over him. Yeah,
3: yeah, yeah. <laughs> no, <laughs> no, definitely not. We're still speaking all the time. Um, sequels. I mean, like. We don't know yet we've been fully open about we don't know yet i think it would depend on a lot of things um so yeah but each of us has um solo things coming up so that's exciting
1: can you tell okay. us a little bit about that or is
3: it a secret oh no some secret sophie do you want to go first
2: yeah sure um my next book is i'll give you the name that the name's just been changed we haven't announced the new name yet the old name was the one that got away um It's a sapphic rom-com about a girl whose ex-boyfriend becomes famous and he goes on a reality show where he redates all of his ex-girlfriends to find the one that got away. Um, She ends up going on the show with the intention of making it to the end and taking him down. But to do so, she has to team up with the girl that he cheated on her with, who she is stuck rooming with uh, at the house.
1: That sounds so amazing. I need to read it immediately. Um, (laughs) Thank you so much. (laughs) Kayle, what's next for
3: you? Um, Yeah, so my next book's called The Pledge. It's my um, my first ever horror book. So it's a bit of a change from If This Gets Out, um, but I'm very excited about it. Uh, So basically the setup is it's about this guy called Sam, um, and he survived an attack when he was staying. It was two years before the book starts um, when he was staying with his boyfriend at a lake house. Um, They were attacked by a masked crazy person, Then two years have gone by and he's trying to finally move on with his life. So he goes to college, he decides to join a fraternity because there's all these cute boys there and there's one he particularly likes. Um, But Then his frat brothers start getting murdered. So it's a slasher. It's it's really fun Um, and I'm excited about it. I finished the second draft two days ago. So so it's still very new. Um, But yeah, so I think it's supposed to come out in September next year. It might be a little bit later than that, but that's where it's like, kind of ballpark at the moment um
1: yeah that sounds amazing too it's like you guys are writing books specifically to appeal to just me thank you so much (laughs) Uh, that's about all we have time for though uh sophie kale thank you so much for joining us today it's been such a pleasure having you and chatting to you uh for everyone listening if this gets out is out on the 12th of december and you can grab a copy online at booktopia.com.au where you will also find sophie and kale's wonderful backlist thanks for listening
0: Now over to Sarah for her chat with Karen M. McManus. Hi,
4: I'm Sarah McDowling, and I am so, so delighted to be talking today with Karen M. McManus about her latest book, You'll Be the Death of Me. Karen, thanks so much for joining us today. Thanks so much for having me. It's great to be here. Now, for all the people listening, could you just tell them a little bit about what they can expect in your latest book?
5: Yes. um, I like to call You'll Be the Death of Me, Ferris Bueller's Day Off Meets a Murder Mystery. So it is about three estranged friends who don't really know one another well anymore. They were friendly in middle school, but now they're seniors in high school and they've gone their separate ways but they they meet up kind of by chance in the parking lot of school one day and they're all having a very bad day. Ivy just lost the student council election to the class clown. Mateo is worn down with family problems and Cal is in the middle of relationship problems and none of them want to be at school. So they get the idea to skip and try and recreate this great day in Boston they had when they were younger, which cemented their friendship all those years ago. But it goes very, very bad. Badly. And the only way that they can get out of this rapidly escalating mess is to start being honest with one another about the secrets they've been keeping.
4: This was such a great book to read. I I mean, I've enjoyed reading all of your books. I love as someone who kind of grew up loving Veronica Mars. Um, I feel like I love Veronica Mars. Yay! I've got such a I've got such a soft spot for YA crime. Um, I always sort of gravitate towards it. And you, I have heard described now as the queen of teen crime. Is that um, an honorific that, that you're happy about?
5: <laughs> oh, for sure. <laughs> That's a very, very kind thing for people to say, and I will happily accept that crown.
4: Oh, I think it's very true. And um, just generally speaking, writing crime, what would you say, the art of writing crime and mystery, what would you say are the challenges you face when you're conceiving and putting a crime novel together in terms of like laying those clues but still keeping keeping the ending a surprise? Because I just find that I'm always surprised at the end of your books and I, I do do a fair bit of crime reading like outside of play as well and I feel like the more you read, the better you get it identifying the red herrings but you always take me by surprise (laughs) oh good i'm very
5: happy to hear that i work hard on those i i don't always know when i start um what all the clues and misdirections and, and red herrings are going to be sometimes i have a sense of a few of them but a lot of them develop as i'm writing the story so i do start out with kind of big beats and sometimes it's more character beats than plot beats you know i have these multiple characters usually three at least. Um, and I have to figure out how they're going to work together and grow together and what part of their personality is going to impact the plot and at which moment. So I, I tend to set that up first. And then I start thinking through the plot beats and, you know, okay, how am I going to set this mystery up? How am I going to, you know, hopefully send people down a wrong path? Maybe the characters go down the wrong path as well. Um, and so a lot of it just becomes organic as the writing takes place and unfolds. And it's rare that I don't add a single mystery element um, kind of late in the game, almost as it occurs to me near the end, like, oh, this would be fun. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and there's one in, in You'll Be the Death of Me. I don't want to spoil anything, but there's a, there's a note at a certain point and when i put that note in i did not know what it was for i didn't know what i was going to do with it i just thought you know this this is a note and it's mysterious and i will figure that out (laughs) and i really didn't figure out what i wanted to do with it until i was nearly done with the book so it's, it's sometimes it's like a happy surprise when you leave yourself a breadcrumb and it actually works out
4: that's amazing i love I love what you decided to do with that note.
5: <laughs> Thank you it was It was fun. I like how it worked out.
4: Well, it's interesting to hear you say that you you kind of figure out this structure around the character things and then work the plot through it because I feel like that is so much the part of the reason is that I always get caught by surprise by the mystery because I'm fully invested in your characters they're always they've got so much going on. Um, you know, in their own lives, but also in their dynamic with each other and particularly enjoyed in this book that as well as a dash of romance and some like amazing friendship dynamics and family dynamics, you also have this like great vein of humor running through the book with the and Speaks. Um, yes, I <laughs> that was one of my those.
5: favorite parts to write.
4: <laughs> I was going to ask if you had fun doing that because they were so much fun to read.
5: Oh, I loved it. It's one of my favorite parts of the book. And the funny thing is it didn't exist in the first draft. That was one of my editor's brilliant comments was she wanted to bring in more of the school and more of the town. And I didn't have any of those interludes because we were talking about, you know, it's, it's inspired by Ferris Bueller. And we certainly don't want to be a copy of that. It's a very different story. But where it's possible, can we pull inspiration? And Ferris has this wonderful vein running through where, you know, the entire school thinks he's sick and they're raising money for him and cheering him on meanwhile he's off you know having the time of his life so i thought well wouldn't it be funny if there was something similar where there's a group of kids at school who think they know what's happening but they're getting it completely wrong and so i came up with this notion of this youtube channel you know initially school sanctioned that then goes rogue and starts reporting because it's just chaos back at the school with everyone trying to figure out what's going on and and those characters were a lot of fun to write and they did allow me to add more depth to the school and bring in more of the side characters because one of the challenges of this book is that the three characters are very separated from just about everybody else in the story for most of the book so figuring out how to pull other characters in was challenging
4: it was beautifully done i can't tell you how much i, I chuckled in those <laughs> chapters. i'm so glad i love that <laughs> so now you'll be the death of me is your fifth novel Yes. Um, one of Us Is Lying, your first book was published, and forgive me if I'm wrong, was it 2017?
5: Yes, that's right, it was um, May 2017 in the US and just a couple days later in the UK and Australia.
4: So um, that book was an, an enormous success and, uh, all, and, your, and subsequent books have been enormous success. That isn't that long ago, really, like a lot has happened. 2017 clearly the world's been through the ringer yes Um, so it's very different world but what has that journey from from your first book coming out to now been like for you and what do you think 2017 karen would say um to see where you are now
5: yeah it's been pretty wild because the thing about one of us is lying but i think people don't necessarily remember now because it sort of became what it is, but it wasn't expected to be a a huge hit. You know, it was just sort of a regular book. It wasn't this one of those hotly anticipated titles that everybody knows about. You get invited everywhere and, you know, it was sort of a quiet (laughs) release. And then it was really readers who took it and found it and talked about it and made it a hit. It did not hit um, the bestseller list here in the U S until it had been out for a month. Um, And now it's been on there for 200 weeks. So it's really been this crazy um, ride where i was just pinching myself for most of that first year and i also kept thinking oh well this is going to die down pretty soon Um, and it just never did so there was something about that book that just kind of captured people's imagination and that's really wonderful because some books don't find their audience and this book found an enormous audience and it allowed me to do what i love to do full-time to create more books um, and to you know kind of help to grow this genre that i love of young adult thrillers
4: and it really does, it really does seem to be growing. It's a, it's a space where there's a lot of cool stuff being published into YA crime at the moment. Yeah, um, it's
5: really been exciting to see.
4: Yeah. So when you, when you wrote one of Us Design, did you know or had you planned in the back of your mind that there would be a follow-up book to that?
5: no never intended to write a follow-up and i'd say for the first you know six months or so when people were asking me oh will you please write another book i would say nope no i'm done that's it a standalone. Um, But you know, that it planted the question in my head of well, if I were ever going to write another book, what would that be? What would that look like? And I started thinking about it. And then I thought, well, I can't go back into these characters heads. I just don't feel prepared to do that, because I really like where I left them. But what if I did new characters, I always thought Maeve would be a great character. um, And maybe she's got some friends. And so when my publisher asked me if I'd ever consider it, I said, Well, If I could do this um, and they were totally on board so that became one of us's next and then lo and behold I decided to write a third book and this time I actually am going back into the heads of some of my original characters so I just I think I needed some time to be able to do that.
4: Returning to You'll Be the Death of Me it has obviously I'm not going to give any details because that would be a huge spoiler but speaking very generally about the ending it ends on this great note which is serves as a wonderful like finish to the story but also i kind of couldn't help feeling somewhat leaves the door open for potentially returning one day are you do you have any plans to do a follow-up for you'll be the death of me or is it too early to say yeah I think it's
5: too early I, I tend to like ambiguous endings. I like endings to be a little bit open i I do do that in all my standalones. I did it in two can Keep a secret I did it in the Cousins and yes I did it again here it's not it's not wrapped up in a neat bow at the end and I do that mostly because I feel that life is like that you know it's never quite quite done. Um, I also sort of like the idea that my readers have gotten to know these characters and I'd like them to be able to think about what they'll do next. You know, I bet they would come up with some really great ideas of what happens after this.
4: Um, But I never say never either. Um, It just has to be the right idea. I I love the potential and I love an ending with a little bit of a what might come next feel to it. I do feel it allows the characters to go on living in your head.
5: Yeah, that's what I hope. You know, you're still thinking about them a week or so later.
4: Yeah. Or hopefully longer. <laughs> <laughs> um, so, you've, you've had One of Us Is Lying adapted for the screen. Um, yes. how, what is that experience like? How is it to see your characters and your story adapted in this totally different medium?
5: Oh, it's wild. Yeah. It's, um, you know, so many, well, not so many, but many books are options um, and they just don't make it through the process. It's very common for that to happen. So for one of us to make it all the way through again, that's something very special about this book. And I remember going to the pilot shoot in Vancouver and pulling up to the street where they had you know, they had rented a bunch of houses, just this regular suburban street, but they were like shooting there. So the people had moved out and they were making sets and there were people with clipboards and headsets. And Jennifer Morrison is over there because she directed the pilot. And I'm thinking, I can't believe all these people are here because I wrote a book. (laughs)
4: You know, like
5: that (laughs) is a very strange and humbling feeling.
4: Wow. Uh, So I mentioned before, Veronica Mars, I would say she's yes. probably probably one of my favorite teenage fictional teenage crime solvers. Um, what about you? Do you have, I know you mentioned you also like that show, but do you have any other sort of teen crime solvers? Were you ever into sort of Nancy Drew or any others?
5: Oh yeah. Yeah. I was completely into <laughs> Nancy Drew and I loved Veronica Mars for sure. And I also liked, I've always liked, um, Agatha Christie, um, mm-hmm those super twisty, cozy mysteries that she does. So I was a big mystery writer as a kid and I still am today.
4: Yeah, I think there's just something about um, being being a big crime reader myself. I don't know. There's something about the puzzle of it and yeah, and working through it and kind of the satisfaction of getting to that ending. That's really oddly cathartic. And when I was thinking about what is it that I love so much about when it's teenagers doing the crime solving. And I wanted to ask you a little bit, you know, as as a writer of crime for teens, um, is it challenging writing because it's, you know, it is death. And um, yeah. while, while the books aren't violent or gory or anything, it is a pretty heavy subject matter. Is it hard sort of navigating that when you're writing for a younger audience?
5: Yeah, you know, I definitely keep that in mind. I mean, I do think that, you know, for for some young adults and and I was one of these young adults, um, you may have a really lovely and peaceful childhood, but that's not everyone's reality. You know, so there are readers out there who have experienced things along the line of, you know, my stories um, or even worse than that. And and they deserve to see those stories reflected. But for my type of story that I write, I do try to um, I try to leaven the darkness with some light. You know, my books tend to have humor, they tend to have a little bit of romance, they tend to focus on connections. Um, and moments between people, and what I try to show is that you know terrible things can and do happen, um, you know, to just about everybody in life. But you can get through those, you know, with the right support. And sometimes you need to figure out who that support is. You know, maybe it's your family. If so, you're lucky. Maybe it's not. You know, maybe it's a friend. Maybe it's uh, someone in your community. Um, so you can get through that. You know, you can still have those happy moments, and and you can find that balance. And um, I think there's something cathartic, as maybe you said earlier, in experiencing that, particularly as a young adult in sort of the safe space of a book where you can consume it at your own pace and where there is a resolution of some kind. Even if mean writers like me don't give you every single answer, you get (laughs) enough to feel that, you know, you understand what happened and you get a little bit of justice, which we don't always see in the real world.
4: So, with You'll Be the Death of Me, what would you say was the most difficult aspect you faced while writing this book or, you know, alternatively, or as well as, what was the most surprising experience you had while writing the book?
5: The toughest thing was that all of the action and the mystery takes place within a day. And really, in less than a day, it takes place in about 12 hours. So first, there's the logistical problem of that, which I really did want to have them moving around, um, you know, from their suburb to the city and then back again. And that presents me with the challenges of I got to make sure that this timing works. So I actually, you know, I took trains and I took and I drove and I walked because I live outside Boston. I was able to do that to make sure that the timing is actually feasible. You do have to get pretty lucky with traffic, but you can do it. Um, (laughs) So that was the first challenge. And the second challenge was giving the characters meaningful opportunity to grow in such a short time frame. I always like my characters to be different at the end than they were in the beginning, to have gone through a journey. And with this one, I decided that the only way I could really do that was to focus on this former friendship of theirs. And the fact that it had broken up in such a way that none of them really understood why, but it had its roots in issues that they have and still have in the way that they deal with other people and so they're going to have to resolve those issues to solve this mystery this mess that they're in right now while they're also kind of resolving those past hurts and that allows them to
4: move forward it's so funny that you i i hadn't sort of heard the book described with the reference to ferris feeler's day off but now that you've mentioned it and just then mentioning that the whole book happens within a day of course it does like on some level i know that because of the i read the book but so much happens in that day that it's actually like wildly impressive (laughs) like that you're able to fit all of the logistics of that in it's something that you don't appreciate when you're reading it because you're just letting the story wash over you but yeah, Which wow. is good,
5: actually, <laughs> you know, I think if, if you're thinking too much about is this feasible time wise, <laughs> then maybe I'm not engaging you fully. So I think that's yeah, good. something's
4: gone wrong. But no, I just it was it's a wild ride of a book and just so enjoyable. Um, we're, we're sort of coming up to the end of the podcast, but I always like to ask if you're able to talk about what's what's coming up next.
5: Yes, um, I actually just announced this recently on my Instagram, but my sixth book is coming out probably sooner than people were expecting. It's coming out on August 30th of next year. It's also a standalone young adult mystery, and it's called Nothing More to Tell. And it's about a teen journalist who investigates the cold case murder of her favorite teacher whose body was found found by her ex-friend turned nemesis. So it's dual POV between those two and it's really fun and I'm excited to share it with people. And then um, the third One of Us book, One of Us is Back, is Drafted on my end, um, but we still have to edit that. And that will come out, I believe in 2023. So at least a couple more books from me over the next couple of years.
4: Oh, Karen, you're so good to your readers. (laughs) I <laughs> think that we've got another book coming in August. And the description of that book is like, I oh, I love it. I'm a big uh, podcast, crime podcast listener myself. So that's just you. I,
5: I am too. And I'm so interested in cold cases. And I've I've done it before And Two Can Keep a Secret. And that um, was such an enjoyable mystery to write and unspool and see how the past impacts the present. So
4: I really enjoyed it. Oh, my goodness. Well, we've sort of run out of time. But Karen, I just want to thank you so, so much for joining us today. It's been such a pleasure meeting you and getting to chat with you. That was my pleasure. Thank you so much for having me. And for everyone listening, you can grab your copy of You'll Be the Death of Me, as well as all of Karen and McManus's spectacular backlist titles at your local bookstore or online at Booktobia. Thanks for listening and never stop reading.
0: Thanks to our guests, Sophie Gonzalez, Carla Dietrich, and Karen M. McManus. You can find links to the books discussed today in our show notes or head over to booktopia.com.au. Stay tuned on Friday for our next episode, where we'll be discussing the books we're reading at the moment. And please join us next week as we talk about our favorite books of 2021. As always, thanks for listening and never stop reading.